You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Vancouver police are looking for more witnesses to the fatal stabbing of a husband and father on Sunday. It happened in broad daylight outside a busy Starbucks in downtown Vancouver. Krista Dow has the latest on the victim, the man who's charged, and the chilling account from one witness. Chris, this was a violent and a vicious attack that was witnessed by dozens of people and was no doubt extremely distressing for everyone involved, especially the victim's family. And while there has been a suspect arrested, police still don't know why this happened. For the dozens who witnessed the attack here on Granville and West Pender, the crime scene deeply disturbing and violent. It's definitely not something that somebody wants to experience just on a Sunday. On Sunday, just before 6, Vancouver police say a man was stabbed outside the Starbucks location. It began as a verbal altercation, then turned physical. VPD has identified the victim as 37-year-old Paul Stanley Schmidt, a husband and father. He worked as a mover in Burnaby. Obviously, extremely traumatic for everybody involved, uh, for the victim's family, for the victim's friends, uh, for bystanders, for staff at the Starbucks, for the first responders who arrived. The victim's mother says Paul, his wife and daughter were out enjoying a family day together, stopping to pick up treats at Starbucks. His wife inside while Paul and his daughter waited outside when he was attacked and later succumbed to his injuries. She tells Global News, Paul lived for his wife and his daughter. That was his whole life. Adding, this man has ruined so many lives. Paul Schmidt's alleged killer, 32-year-old Inder Deep Singh Gossel, has been charged with second-degree murder. Police believe the murder was witnessed by dozens of people and are asking more of them to come forward. Witnesses like Alex Bodger, who filmed the altercation that is too graphic and disturbing to air. He describes what he saw. As I started to go over and see these two men fighting, I noticed some blood and then I noticed a stab to the chest. As the guy who stabbed him went back inside of the Starbucks, everybody started to scream, like, is he gonna stab us? What we're focusing on now is why did this happen? What were the events that transpired in the moments leading up to this very serious crime that caused this to happen? Police believe the victim and suspect did not know each other. A brazen attack that has patrons here in shock. That's scary, I walk by here every day. During the day, Jesus, that's so scary. Chris, Starbucks remains closed for the day, and there's no word yet on when the store will reopen. But Starbucks does tell me that there are victim supports available for its employees. Vancouver police say they also have victim supports available and are encouraging anyone who may need that to reach out. So overall, though, a very traumatizing and extremely distressing day for everyone. Chris. No doubt. All right, thank you, Krista. That's Krista Dow reporting in Vancouver. Vancouver police are investigating an intentionally set fire that caused significant damage to an important Chinatown institution. On Sunday, smoke and flames were spotted coming from the Chinese Cultural Center. As Catherine Urquhart reports, the building and its contents were badly damaged, and police are now trying to identify an arsonist who was captured by surveillance cameras. Inside the Chinese Cultural Center, there is substantial water damage, mostly in this storage area, and there is smoke damage throughout the structure. What kinds of items were in here? Uh, mostly, I uh, got books. 
fire erupted at the back of the building just before 5 p.m. Sunday. Moments before, surveillance cameras captured images of this individual. It was a woman who kneeled down and put something in through the fence at the bottom, pushed it in, and then CCTV recording shows the woman walk off and then after about 10, 15 minutes, and some white smoke coming out and then, and then become black smoke. Vancouver police confirm their major crime unit is investigating it as an arson. They're working to identify a suspect and determine a possible motive. Was this a fire that was targeted towards the Chinese Cultural Centre? Was it a fire that was deliberately set to cause specific damage to that building? Or was it a fire that was set for another reason? No one inside the building was hurt, but a firefighter was injured. One of our engine companies who had smashed his hand trying to gain access to the, uh, the rear of the cultural center courtyard. Investigators say this fire does not appear linked to any others. Regardless, it is yet another blow to this community, which continues to battle crime and racism. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A suspect is set to appear in court in Nanaimo tomorrow to face a charge in a case that left a business owner in hospital with serious gunshot injuries. Craig Truckle is accused of one count of pointing a firearm on March 12th, business owner Clint Smith went to a Nanaimo homeless camp to retrieve some stolen property. He was shot several times and was put into a medically induced coma while emergency crews saved his life. The incident sparked protests in the city demanding action to protect public safety. If he's convicted, Truckle faces a maximum sentence of five years in prison. Well, we're hearing more tonight from daycare operators who say ongoing problems with the province's new funding model are putting them in a financial bind. As Julie Nolan reports, those providers say unless the situation gets fixed soon, they'll have no choice but to increase their fees by hundreds of dollars per month. If you're all done, that's perfect. Sorry? Behind the scenes at this Nanaimo daycare center, operators have been racked with worry about their funding for the year, waiting for the B.C. government to sort through applications for subsidies. I appreciate that they're having a tough time themselves, um, but it's, uh, it's stressful for us because we don't know what's going on. Facilities like this one only get funded for a year at a time. Online applications to the province began about six weeks ago, but the deadline for approval is this Friday, and the system has been plagued with tech issues. For operators like Alicia Newman, she was about to dig into her own resources to cover a deficit of $70,000 to pay 65 employees at nine centres. I personally use my uh, line of credit, my own personal line of credit, to cover uh, for, uh, for paychecks, for rent, for things that we see a shortfall in. This meant Newman was warning parents they could be out of pocket for April for hundreds of dollars. For example, the average monthly cost for a child up to 36 months old is $1,800. With the feds kicking in $900, BC's affordable childcare benefit could be more than $1,100. Many of the parents wanted 30 days notice that they were going to have to pay because, um, you know, they have rent and food to pay as well. So we completely understand. The province maintains a backlog is clearing up with at least 90% of childcare facilities approved or temporarily approved for the coming year, 
which just happened for Newman's facilities over the weekend. The fee reduction initiative is a major part of how we keep fees low for families. We have the vast majority of them are completed um, and we're continuing to hear from providers. I spoke to many last week on how we can improve the system going forward. With many operators still waiting, Newman hopes the bugs in BC's application portal is ironed out in the future, but also... We need to start this process far sooner. We need to have our approvals way before March happens so that then that way we can give a reassurance to the providers and to the parents at the same time. So that no one has to brace themselves for unforeseen expenses. Julie Nolan, Global News. The legislature is back after two weeks away and the first issue to dominate the debate is the audit of B.C. housing. The opposition demanding that report be released right away. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria with more on this. Keith, first of all, why the audit and then what's the holdup? Yeah, the audit basically based on some reports of uh, impropriety at BC Housing, at least a lack of performance and uh, uh, accountability last summer. The board was fired in July, if you recall. Another sort of operational review was done by Ernst & Young, and now the government asked the Comptroller General to step in further and take a deeper dive and conduct a forensic uh, investigation, forensic audit, and that's what Ernst & Young did as well. The report is now in the hands of government. The Liberals have been saying since Friday when it was first announced the report's out there, it's time to make this public the government is insisting they have to follow the freedom of information law and brief all the third parties mentioned in the report. But the clock is ticking on a very sensitive issue and the focus of question period today. I think the trend and the practice of this government has been to be dragged kicking and screaming, to have information dragged out of it, not to proactively release the report. And we're not going to get any solutions if that is going to continue to be the approach on the part of this government, Mr. Speaker. The minister can show some leadership. The premier can show some leadership. Stand up and say this report and release this report unredacted today. Uh, I think all members in this House can agree that this is vitally important that we provide support for the most vulnerable people in our society. Now, now it turns out the government's actually had this report for a couple of weeks, and Ravi Kalon, the minister, actually got it last Monday. So it's been sitting around in government. Uh, we don't know how long it's going to take to get those third parties to sign off on this, or at least be told that they're in the report. But again, the pressure is building on Ravi Kalon, the minister, and the government to make this public. Housing is a very hot political issue, and look for the Liberals to push this throughout the week if this report remains hidden. No doubt. Okay, thanks very much, Keith. Amendments to the BC Family Law Act will give more clarity on who gets custody of family pets in cases of separation or divorce. The proposed changes were introduced in the legislature today. If passed, they'll require consideration for each person's ability and willingness to care for a pet and the relationship children have with the animal. The changes are designed to reflect the changing social value of pets and make the difficult process of separation a little bit easier. And we know that uh, pets across um, the province are really loved members of the family. And so the, the amendments make it easier for people to come up with their own agreements when it comes to how to divide the family pet time with the family pet, or if they can't, to get an order from a judge to say who's, um, who gets custody of the family pet. Other proposed amendments to the law include making it easier to equitably divide property and improve the division of pensions. A Vancouver school board trustee is raising some concerns over TransLink's proposed fare increases and the potential impact on youth in B.C. Susie Ma says the proposed hike for youth aged 13 to 18 could be extremely detrimental and cause a financial burden on some families. 
She says young people need transit to get around for school, extracurricular activities, and for work. And a fair increase could deter some from using it. We're trying to instill habits in, in young people to take the bus for, you know, that public transit's a good thing. And yet here we are looking at making it harder, creating more barriers, uh, taking away more money from families who need that money and saying they need a cost, in, you know, to raise the, the fare. In a statement, TransLink says the proposed fare increases will, quote, help pay for the growing cost of transit. A vote on the increase is scheduled for Wednesday. BC Ferries foundering from the events of effects rather of a labor shortage, canceled sailings and chaos for travelers as the organization makes a desperate appeal for help to train more people. That's next on the news hour. Coming up on the news hour tonight, Amazon under fire, the refund runaround that left a Calgary woman out hundreds of dollars. And later in sports, the young Canuck who made quite an impression in his first NHL game, playing in front of a lot of family and friends. Right now, though, BC Ferry says it is moving to cut the number of sailings canceled due to crew shortages. Frustrated passengers blasted the company on social media last week after 13 or 19 rather sailings were canceled. As Kylie Stanton shows us, hiring and keeping qualified staff is proving to be quite a challenge as the peak sailing season approaches. It's considered to be the first big stress test going into the busy summer season. And BC Ferries isn't off to a good start. Coming out of the spring break, at least uh, for the mid and north coast, you know, there's some challenges. Several sailings were cancelled over the weekend, including two trips on major routes between Greater Victoria and the Lower Mainland. The reason, once again, staffing shortages, creating a bit of a backlog in the system. I drove here from Ottawa. It's been 10 days on the road, so... It's a couple extra hours. But it's becoming common practice. Between April and November of last year, staff shortages resulted in nearly 700 sailing cancellations. According to this 41-page supplemental report sent to the office of the BC Ferries Commissioner earlier this month, the corporation highlights labour market shortages as a key issue. People are just having to keep working and working and working. The fatigue is kicking in and, 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 and the, the job is just isn't what people thought it, or it should be. While the province has stepped in with $500 million to help keep fare hikes low and predictable, the union says that should free up some funds and is advocating for more recruitment and retention initiatives. I mean, if you want to build a workforce that's resilient for years, you invest in them and you continue to invest in them. BC's transportation minister says that work is already underway. Since February, BC Ferries has held 18 career fairs in communities up and down the coast. To date, 500 staff have been hired for the peak summer season. Training starts next month. This is an issue where they're being strong and proactive. They have linkages with post-secondary uh, institutions like BCIT and Vancouver Island University where they uh, do training. And, uh, and I think recruitment uh, is, is one of their uh, efforts that they're actioning now. But even if the positions are filled, there is, of course, the issue of retaining workers. The union says to expect more cancellations just in time for traffic to start picking up. May Long being the next real stress test. Kylie Stanton, Global News.
Organizers of a huge comedy festival are hoping to bring the event to Vancouver this year, and tonight the park board is set to vote on the three-day affair. Our Travis Prasad is live now with more on the great outdoors comedy festival. Travis, they want to hold it at Brockton Field in Stanley Park, and of course that is where the park board comes in. It is. It's all up to the park board to decide whether there'll be any big laughs at Stanley Park this summer. Huge names like Jerry Seinfeld and Amy Schumer either have performed or will be performing at the Great Outdoors Comedy Festival in other cities. And we'll soon find out if that event will be allowed to make its way to Vancouver. The Alberta-based organizers want to hold it at the Brockton Fields in Stanley Park this September. Attendance would be capped at 10,000 guests per day. It would be 19 plus with alcohol being served on the grounds. It's a three-day festival that started in Edmonton back in 2021 and has since expanded to several other Canadian cities. At this point, we don't know what comedians would be performing here if it was approved. We've heard from Vancouver-based comics who hope local comedians would get some stage time, but the organizers are not giving us any details until they know for sure that the event is approved. And if it does get the green light, this would be the first new major event at Stanley Park in several years. And that's because back in 2019, the Park Board suspended all new large-scale events in Vancouver parks. But in December, the new ABC Majority Park Board lifted that moratorium. And so we are expecting a decision on whether the Great Outdoors Comedy Festival will go ahead. That decision is expected tonight. The Park Board meeting gets underway in just a few minutes at 6.30. Sophie. All right, we'll look for more from you tonight on Global News at 11. Travis, thank you. Just ahead, a rental nightmare. This is a hazard. A family of Syrian refugees worried their house is crumbling with nowhere else to go. Also ahead, the emotional farewell for two Edmonton police officers killed in the line of duty. Traffic is steady in both directions over here tonight at the Patello Bridge, which is some leftover volume southbound on McBride through the Queen's Park stretch. BCA member, lucky you, BCA members save three cents per liter off fuel at Shell. Conditions apply. Visit shell.ca slash BCAA. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One above the Patello Bridge. the stories we need to know to a look at what's happening right now around us when bc needs to connect bc turns to the source that brings us together global news connect a family who fled the war in syria say they're now being forced to rent a home where the odor sometimes takes their breath away that's right and they say they can't get the landlord's attention to deal with their complaints and as imadagahi reports for a large family like theirs it's hard to just pack up and move yeah there are some cracks in the foundation here but you get power flickering you know when it's windy this is a hazard this these are conditions no one should be forced to live under. But this family of eight newcomers to Canada says it has no choice. I have six children, says Yasser Hamdu. It has been difficult living in a home that is falling apart. 
It's too expensive, he says, and next to impossible to find another four-bedroom rental to house his family. Well, the conditions are severe, actually. They could be a dangerous situation, especially to a child. Hamdu says in three years of living in this house on Edgar Avenue in Coquitlam, he has never missed rent. But routinely, his requests for repairs have been ignored by his landlord. He hasn't uh, indicated any reason. He's just not willing to do repairs. There's a possibility that he may be taking advantage of the fact that uh, yes, sir, doesn't speak the language. The smell is just terrible. They get suffocated sometimes. The kids injured his feet on the broken tile. Going barefoot here. In some areas of the house, there is damage to the ceiling, almost directly above a child's bed. He says the landlord is not taking it seriously oftentimes laughing and walking away. Hi, you've reached Ravine Chanjua. Please leave a message and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. Check in with you to see if any of those repairs are going to be done or started or what the situation is. Ravine Janjua, the person listed on the development application sign on the property, is also the landlord. He did not return our call. It's unhuman, actually, to put somebody in this type of uh, squalor condition, you know, and... Uh, it's probably, uh, it's probably safer to be uh, homeless. The family now desperate to find a solution and get their landlord's attention. I'm not a lawyer, but at least he should have the moral uh, decency, you know, to um, make it right. Imadagahi, Global News. A somber day in Edmonton today as a regimental funeral was held for two police officers killed in the line of duty. Global's Heather Urex West has more on the procession that wound through the city as residents and fellow first responders paid tribute. They marched in the bitter cold, escorting their fallen colleagues to the place where their friends and family would say a final goodbye. A somber procession that Canadian police service members have come to know all too well. While thousands of police officers and other first responders representing 45 agencies from across North America joined the families inside Rogers Place, members of the public were invited to take in the funeral service via a live stream outside. Among the crowd, Jennifer Henning, whose husband works with the Edmonton Police. He was working the night that it happened, so... Um, we support him, we support all of his brothers and sisters in blue. One wife grieving for two others inside. Annie Jordan wrote a tribute to her husband, standing on stage as it was read on her behalf. Travis, my police officer, my best friend, it's been the biggest honour being your wife. Constable Brett Ryan's wife, Ashley, is a first responder who was present the night her husband lost his life. The couple is expecting their first child. I will always remember how excited he was when Brett found out he was going to be a dad. I know you have already met our baby and you will forever be their angel. You will live on in baby Ryan and they will know every last detail about how special you were. Two husbands, sons, and friends who will be remembered for not just their sacrifice, but the love that filled their lives. I love you forever, I'll miss you always, and I love you more until we meet again. Heather Urex-West, Global News.
Edmonton. Coming up, what tomorrow's federal budget could do for you. The carbon tax is going up. Alcohol taxes are going up. With Canadians facing increasing costs, what Ottawa might offer to help ease the burden. And the interior BC community dealing with a rash of catalytic converter thefts and how to stop it. Good evening. Traffic is in great shape in both directions over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge tonight, which is some leftover volume on the East West Connector through Richmond. Select Sussex Insurance and make a difference. When you renew your auto plan online, select your neighborhood Sussex Insurance when prompted, and a donation will be made to Diabetes Canada. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. The federal government is gearing up for the release of its budget tomorrow as Canadians struggle to get a handle on their own finances. And while the finance minister said Ottawa will make investments to help the most vulnerable Canadians, there's concern about what that could do to inflation. Kyle Benning has more. You're both practical on sale. It's another new pair of shoes for the finance minister on the eve of the federal budget. Ottawa is ready to lay out its priorities for the year. But with inflation soaring, the Canadian Taxpayers Federation is calling on lawmakers to ease the burden on Canadians. The carbon tax is going up, alcohol taxes are going up, and MP pay is also going up. According to Ipsos polling done exclusively for Global News, more than 4 in 10 people believe the government needs to take steps to address inflation, making it the highest priority on the list. A federal government official told the Canadian press that Ottawa will look to extend the temporary boost to the GST rebate for low-income Canadians. And while there is a balancing act between offering Canadians cash and keeping inflation down, one expert says this temporary measure is minute, given wages haven't kept up with the cost of living. Workers, in fact, are pulling down inflation because their wages are not keeping pace with inflation. Uh, this small cash transfer in the grand scheme of things will do nothing to reverse that overall trend. Statistics Canada has found that inflation is starting to cool. In February, inflation dropped to 5.2%. The previous month. But those figures are still higher than wage increases employees have earned. A December 2022 report from Stats Canada found wages went up about 5% compared to 2021. Kyle Benning, Global News. There are calls for more enforcement of laws to cut down on catalytic converter thefts after a crime spike in the central Okanagan. Kelowna RCMP say there have been 78 thefts in the region so far this year, an average of almost one per day. Despite the B.C. government making it a requirement to report all sales of used catalytic converters, some smaller scrap metal dealers are still advertising cash on the spot for the parts. We do need a little bit more enforcement on it. People do need to just be aware of what's going on, um, keep an eye on metal recyclers and stuff like that, and that's where it's going, in my opinion. We are working with our partners. We are working with uh, recycling plants and other, other community partners to try to figure out a, a solution to this problem. RCMP are reminding people that a catalytic converter theft is a very loud process, but it's quick. Anyone who sees or hears anything suspicious should call police right away. After more than 30 years behind bars, two Saskatchewan women went to court today to argue for their release. The sisters were convicted of murder in 1994, a crime they say they didn't commit. Today, it was up to a judge to decide whether to release them on bail. Global's Connor O'Donovan has more. 
Scenes of celebration outside a Yorkton courthouse Monday after Odelia and Nerissa Kuzans, convicted of second-degree murder nearly 30 years ago, were released on bail. Right now I'm just overwhelmed and I just want to go be with my family. Thank you. The sisters are serving life sentences for the 1993 killing of a 70-year-old man named Anthony Dolph near Camsack, Saskatchewan. While they testified that they were on Dolph's property that night and that they did get into a physical altercation, they maintained they didn't deal a fatal blow to Dolph. Their cousin, meanwhile, a minor at the time, has since confessed to the murder. Last year, after decades in the legal system, they successfully applied for a federal review of their case. And in January, opposed by the Crown, they sought bail while that review takes place. After two months of deliberation, Justice Donald Lay granted bail with conditions. We're very happy with the result and um, it's great to see uh, Adelia and Narissa free. It's been a very long time for them. Several members of Anthony Dolph's family were in the courtroom Monday, audibly upset when the decision was made. They left the courtroom without giving any interviews. Crown Prosecutor Kelly Kite, meanwhile, had this to say. This has been a very difficult ordeal for the family of Joseph Dolph. It's been a really difficult 30 years, and it's been a really difficult last few months. Uh, the Crown, in the coming days, will be carefully reviewing the decision of the judge and will be determining our next steps. The federal review could result in a retrial, but that process could take years. Meanwhile, the sisters will have a curfew and must live in designated residences. They're also barred from contacting Dolph's family. A small price to pay for the most freedom they've had in nearly 30 years. I'm in shock, like no emotions, but I always knew in my heart we'll be free. Connor Donovan, Global News. Getting proper nutrition is a critical part of pregnancy, but a new report from UNICEF is sounding the alarm about challenges facing mothers in several countries in Africa and the Middle East, fueled by foreign unrest. Global's Catherine Ward has more on the effects this has on communities and future generations. We are witnessing the largest global food and nutrition crisis in modern history. Looking over the numbers, Vilma Tyler thinks of each woman represented among them, trying her hardest to get food. If there's limited food in the household, women will be the last ones to eat. Women will, will prioritize the men and their children before they can eat. A new report from UNICEF shows the extreme effect malnutrition is having on pregnant and breastfeeding mothers and their children. The report highlighted challenges in a dozen countries in Africa and the Middle East. It found acute malnutrition among pregnant women and breastfeeding mothers increased 25% in the past two years. Globally, UNICEF estimates 51 million children under two years old are too short for their age because of poor nutrition in the first six months of life. The WHO says iron, folic acid and vitamin A are needed daily for the health of the mother and fetus. But ensuring access for all is a challenge. Obadima Ezezika travels abroad regularly to help communities with nutrition programs. He says investments in this area have a direct link to long-term health and economics. It leads to low brain development, which could be a perpetrating cycle because the, the child may have problems in school, may not be able to academically progress. It might affect in future years employment opportunities, and then you have the poverty. A life and death fight, experts say needs a unified approach. We're calling for world leaders to spend more, allocate more of their fiscal budgets to address women's health and nutrition issues. Something that should be invested in, because you're not just focusing on the women, you're also focusing on the 
uh, unborn children as well. Catherine Ward, Global News, Toronto. Up next, buyer's remorse. The speech didn't match the sound. How the purchase of a sound bar on Amazon turned into a real headache for one customer. From the stories that touch us all to the events happening all around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. From the stories that touch us all to the events happening all around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. I'm not going to take credit for bringing the sun back from where I was in Texas, but you know what? If, if it worked, it worked. I'll give you some credit. Take for it. it. Thank you very much, yeah. Chris. Sure. <laughs> Christy. <laughs> Whatever it takes. So that's all I have to say. Mm -hmm. This time of year, we just take what we can get. Thanks, Chris, for bringing it. Yes, yeah, so temperatures soar today away from the water. I thought I would show you this. Quite a range, as is typical when we get sunshine. Uh, 10 degrees by the water, but we were at 15 degrees in areas like White Rock and Langley, and we're expecting it to be even warmer by another degree tomorrow, so about 16 degrees away from the water. This is the trend, though. Overnight, cool down to 5 degrees, clear skies, and we are expecting sunshine. That 13 degrees is likely near the water. It's areas away from the water that will reach about 16 degrees. So uh, Maple Ridge out towards uh, Surrey and Langley, for example, you can expect that. Those of you in the interior, we were near seasonal across southern interior regions, but below seasonal and through the central interior. And we're going to continue with that trend into tomorrow, although we'll see a touch warmer conditions in through the southern interior. 14 degrees as an example. These are your daytime highs for tomorrow in Kelowna. Suyu's likely hitting 14 degrees as well. Here's a look at what we're expecting. So nice ridge of high pressure holding strong, but we are going to see a bit of a disturbance move in on Wednesday. That will impact areas across the northeast. Uh, BC Peace River likely expecting snowfall and some cloud cover will shift in through the interior regions on Wednesday. Tomorrow, though, straight sunshine all across the board. So enjoy that. Cold, though, through the interior regions, dropping down to minus three as an example in, in Kamloops. So chilly, frosty start to the day, but rebounding to double digits. And then Nanaimo will drop down to zero degrees overnight, three degrees in Metro Vancouver. We're expecting it to be a little cooler in some areas, but 16 away from the water tomorrow, 17 potentially on Wednesday and 16 on Thursday. So we've got three fantastic days on the way before a change occurs on Friday. Tonight's Central Windows weather window coming to you from Richmond. Wendy shared this with us and she said, yes, it's that time of year with the geese flying north and in their V formation. So keep your eye on the sky over the next little while with that sunshine. You might be able to see this. Baseball season two, Christy. We're right back in the thick of it after uh, the spring break. Mm -hmm. So great to see and great to see some sunshine for practices this week, at least. And I have new sunglasses so I can test drive them. There you go. Okay. Perfect. It's all, it's all coming together, <laughs> finally. Squire, but cold at night. Hi, Squire. Hi, how you doing? I'm really good. Good. What's going on? And welcome back to the guy next to you. Thank you very much, Sorry, Squire. Who are you again? It's good. It's Chris Galis. <laughs> been here for a while. Been here for, yeah, it has been. I'm amazed. Yeah, I mean, well. two weeks felt like, but you got to remember, before that, I was out with the voice thing. Right. So oh, it's right. really been, it's been three weeks since I've been on the air with you guys. Yeah, it's, and somehow yeah. we made it through. Yeah. We managed yeah. to get yeah. early. Just I don't barely. Know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Squire, what's going on? All right, so it's uh, it's been quite a month for the Vancouver Canucks. Chris doesn't know because he wasn't here. Uh, <laughs> they have been one of the NHL's best in March. 
That's why it's all laughs and fist bumps on the bench, unless, of course, you wanted Vancouver to tank hard for Bedard. Some people did, for sure. Also tonight, an unhappy Amazon customer shocked by what happened when she tried to return some electronics that didn't work like they should have. There's almost a direct correlation with how long I've been away and how well the Canucks have been playing of late. So I actually did get a message from the Aquilinis. They'd love to send you on a world cruise <laughs> next year starting in October. I'm sure they would if this All right. is true. I would so, take it. <laughs> so I have a question. What do the Canucks have against Connor Bedard? I'm joking, of course, but their play in the last few weeks has lowered the Canucks lottery odds to the point where they are close to being right out of the Connor Bedard lottery. You have to be 22nd or worse to have a chance at winning it. I think Ottawa has just won, so Vancouver is four points from being out of the lottery. Now, this is because as a team and certain individuals, they have been lions, not lambs, all of March. And by the most basic of metrics, it's obvious that defense and goaltending under Rick Tockett are the difference. Best goals against in the entire league this month. Much better penalty kill, which also scores goals. Strangely enough, the Canucks have won a lot of games in March with a below average power play. Defense has been the key to their success. Now, yesterday, the Canucks signed college free agent center Max Sasson to a contract. He'll report to Abbotsford, which has now made the uh, AHL playoffs. Also yesterday, a recent NCAA player, Aiden McDonough, made his Canucks debut against Chicago. And he got to do it alongside, as you can see in this picture, his lifelong pal, Jack Rathbone. And like every player with his first NHL game, it's one Aiden McDonough will never forget. Uh, it was awesome. It was, uh, it was amazing. Obviously, uh, you know, just to have so many friends and family here, uh, they, they made the short flight and um, to share with my best friend since, you know, first grade Jack Rathbone to be out there with me uh, and then obviously to get the two points. So it was, uh, it was amazing, everything you, you can dream of. I thought he was okay. You know, he had chance. He had two chances there. Um, he had that chance right there at the end. Um, it would have been nice to see him score. Chips it back. Bear shoots. Dixie. Oven down. What a chance. And he kind of fanned on it. But uh, there's, there's some stuff there. There's some stuff to work with. I think after the first shift there, I took uh, I took a face off, which I haven't taken a face off in like six years. Um, uh, after that, I, it was kind of just hockey. After the first shift, uh, you know, the first shift, obviously, a little nervous, a little scrambling in the D zone, and then after that, it's just kind of you know you're just thinking about the game and and what's going to happen next in the play. That you're not really too focused on being nervous. Congratulations to the Penticton V's. They finished the BCHL regular season yesterday, winning their 50th game of the year. They lost only four games, one of them in a shootout. So uh, they go to the playoffs, which starts Friday, owning the best ever win percentage in the regular season in the BCHL at 9.35. And uh, like the BCHL, the Western Hockey League playoffs will start Friday. Vancouver will take on Kamloops. Prince George gets Tri-City. And uh, Kelowna will face Seattle out east. Connor Bedard, if you're wondering, his Regina team will take on Saskatoon. But Regina is the underdog in that series. Well, the uh, new proest, new proest, the newest pro soccer team 
in the lower mainland is Vancouver FC of the Canadian Premier League, which will be based in Langley, where a new stadium is being constructed. So everything is new. The stadium's new, and so is the team. A strong foundation is essential when building a stadium or a soccer team. It's going to be about building a, a grassroots community-based club, supporting local talent, Canadian talent, and, uh, and watching these players develop. And, and obviously we want to win. The Vancouver FC president at least has a blueprint when it comes to building a CPL team. Rob Fred is a partner with 6.5 Sports and Entertainment and was involved in the company's first CPL venture as CEO of Pacific FC. We were the, the youngest team in, in the CPL year one. We, we, uh, we had the most U21 minutes. Uh, I think we broke a record, uh, I think all time right now. Um, and three years later, we won the league. One of the players on that championship winning team is now leading Vancouver FC. And it's a homecoming for Caden Chung, who played youth soccer for Coquitlam Metro Ford. Been away from home now for five years and to, to have something in, here in my own backyard pretty much, uh, it, it's amazing, it's an amazing feeling. His friends and family can enjoy the fresh new seats at the 6,500 capacity stadium. With a home opener on May 7th, it is quickly coming together in Willoughby Community Park at Langley Event Center. There's no soccer-specific stadium, and, and soccer is about really the atmosphere, right, and the, and the environment in the stadium as well, not just on the field product. And you look around Europe, you know, there, there's room for, for the big clubs and there's room for the smaller clubs within those communities. When it comes to small community clubs with a big audience, look no further than Welsh club Wrexham. Yeah, the one that Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhinney took over in 2021 with dreams of taking the bottom-tier team to the Premier League. And when it comes to grabbing the attention of the local soccer community, Rob Friend is going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the other pro soccer team in the market. Oh, we're the Tier 1 league in this country. Um, you know, top two teams in, the, in this league go to CONCACAF Champions League. You know, we're playing the Canadian Championship against, you know, the MLS club. So, completely different product, uh, different venues. Um, you know, I think our, our biggest competition is the Vancouver Whitecaps, and I think we offer something different. Now, the group that owns Vancouver FC did show some serious interest in trying to buy Huddersfield Town of England's Championship League, but they didn't get the deal done. They're looking at other clubs in Europe to possibly purchase, and if they do, they'll try to get some Canadian players on those teams. There you go. All right, we'll be watching. Thanks, Squire. Up next, the online return that took a very wrong turn and what Amazon did when Global News got involved. Jordan Armstrong is here now with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jordan? Sophie, we're hearing from Vancouver Mayor Ken Sim in regards to the deadly stabbing outside of downtown Starbucks. 37-year-old Paul Schmidt was at the coffee shop with his wife and young daughter when he was killed. A 32-year-old man has been charged with second-degree murder. At 11, we'll tell you what the mayor is saying about the attack and the apparent random nature of it. Also... The cleanup underway at a Burnaby building. Dozens of vehicles submerged. Find out how that water nightmare started at 11. Sophie? All right, thanks, Jordan. Oh, that's disturbing video. It should have had a warning. Uh, thanks, Jordan. An online giant is facing some backlash tonight over a return runaround. Global's Tomasia De Silva explains why one Alberta customer says Amazon made her feel like a criminal. You get the best out of us. Rachel Turnbull expects the best sound from a costly sound system, but that's not what she says she got. The speech didn't match the sound. 
So Turnbull returned it to Amazon. Two weeks later, the retail giant returned with this response. The order contained the incorrect serial number. It would not issue a refund until it received the correct item. I was shocked at that. Um, the item I sent back was the one that I received. Turnbull tried again, but after much back and forth, Amazon still refused to budge. Sorry, no, we're standing by our decision. The serial numbers do not match. Um, so I asked for proof of that, and they told me that that information was confidential. No proof, no original item. According to Amazon, that had been discarded. So there is no item, and they have about $800 of our money. Maybe they're not wrong. But Turnbull questions where it went wrong, pointing out the package went through many processes before it ended up on her doorstep, and finally back to Amazon. It's easier than ever to buy. <laughs> especially online. Retail return expert Return Bear says the explosion of e-commerce has meant many buy before thinking. And while Amazon is reputable, some others may not be. You know, before you click buy, review any brand's, uh, any seller's uh, return policy. I like to remind everybody not to pull the trigger too quickly. Rachel Turnbull has since bought a new sound system from a local store. And after Global News reached out, Amazon has agreed to a refund. She, however, hasn't agreed to ever shop with it again. I feel wrongly accused of something that I didn't do. Tomasio da Silva, Global News. Maybe just got to videotape all the unboxing from now so. on. I think yeah. so. Document everything. Mm -hmm. All right, final word on the weather, Christy. Yeah, well, you can do a lot of documenting of your uh, outdoor adventures because we've got mm -hmm. lots of uh, opportunities over the next few days, especially with the kids. So make sure you get out there. Enjoy the warmth because it'll be much cooler with rain on Friday. All right. Thanks very much, Christy. You've done double duty, so why don't you take a couple of days off now? I think I will. Thanks. Good idea. <laughs> <laughs> See you Thursday. <laughs>